So right there, the Apostle Paul says, when the nation passed through the Red Sea, they were baptized. And all you have to do is ask the question, were there any infants in Israel during this time? And the answer is, obviously there was. There were not only infants, but thousands of infants, tens of thousands of infants uh, that crossed the sea and were baptized in this baptism. Pastor Paul, so last week we had a great discussion on infant baptism. We asked the question as to whether or not infants or children are included in the new covenant. We said, yes, go check out that video for any of our viewers who haven't seen that yet. Today, we want to present probably one of the most common objections that we get for infant baptism, and it goes basically like this. Nowhere in the New Testament and nowhere in the Old Testament do we see infant baptism. It's not mentioned explicitly, and there's no case examples for it. And I want to just bring up a quick objection here as well that we hear all the time. Um, in 1680, a gentleman by the name of Hercules Collins, he revised the Heidelberg Catechism. He calls it the orth an orthodox catechism. Mm -hmm. And so here in question 71, he puts it very well. He says, are infants to be baptized? Answer, none by no means, for we have neither precept nor example for that practice in all the book. So how do you approach an objection like that? And how do you deal oftentimes with Christians who demand such and such language for infant baptism from the text? When you hear like a like an objection like this, you realize just how common it is. Yeah. But what's really going on is that there's a hermeneutical assumption uh, that has been adopted uh, by the person who's coming to the text of Scripture. So, you know, Hercules Collins says that we have no precept for infant baptism, that that is no command for it in all mm -hmm. of Scripture. What he really means is that there is no explicit command that we don't find anywhere in the text of scripture where it says in so many words right. that we are commanded to baptize our children. But already we agree with that. Um, this is not the way as reformed Christians, we approach the text of scripture. Right. Uh, we utilize what is known as the principle of good and necessary consequence. And you can read about that in the first chapter of the Westminster Confession of Faith. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's paragraph six. So, so essentially, that's going to be uh, the issue, is that uh, Hercules Collins is demanding for an explicit command, and I think that's an unnecessary piece of criteria uh, to demand. Yeah, and I, I would say that's really not the way any Christian in practice actually approaches Scripture mm -hmm. when it comes to theology and doctrine. When we start demanding from the Scripture to teach us in so many words uh, a certain doctrine or practice, we really do start to run into some issues, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Like, uh, we believe in the doctrine of the Trinity, right? Mm -hmm. And the church has for 2,000 years, uh, but we don't even have the word Trinity explicitly stated in the Bible. Right. Uh, we don't have even our formula of the Trinity stated in the Bible explicitly, that mm -hmm. God is one in substance and three in persons. Like, you don't find that language in there. Yeah. And that's okay, because we deduce the doctrine of the Trinity from a careful reading and analysis of the scriptural data. Totally. So, so that's just the way we do it. And not just doctrines, but also practices. So he's talking about a practice that's nowhere commanded. And mm -hmm. we have a lot of practices that are nowhere commanded. Uh, consider worshiping on the Lord's day. That is the first day of the week. Mm -hmm. Or consider the fact that we bring women and we allow them to participate in the meal of the Lord's Supper, but we don't have an explicit command for that. Right. 
So you're right. You're, you're going to run into problems down the road if you adopt that hermeneutical assumption and you impose it on the text of scripture. Okay. So if we're going to take explicitism, as you call it, I know that's kind of your coin phrase. If we're going to take that off the table, uh, the second part of Mr. Collins' argument here is neither precept nor example. So right. another way we establish doctrine, of course, is through examples. Uh, the Bible's full of examples from which we establish theology and doctrine from. And we don't see any examples throughout scripture that teach infant baptism, wouldn't you say? Uh, that's where I'm going to disagree. Uh, again, if once you remove the requirement for the text to speak explicitly word for word, mm -hmm. you begin to see things that are actually there in the text implicitly, right. and this is one of them. Uh, let me take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, because okay. this is a great case to be made. Uh, the Apostle Paul, first of all, is talking to the Corinthians. And what he's trying to tell them is that they shouldn't lean so heavily upon the fact that they are baptized and that they take the Lord's Supper and just uh, begin to presume upon the grace of God. He's mm -hmm. telling them, no, be humble, be faithful, make sure that you're not tempting the Lord, make sure that you're not engaging in, in, in great sin in your life, because otherwise you're going to fall. And the example he pulls out is an example from the Old Testament, okay. where you have the whole nation of Israel being redeemed from Egypt. They're coming out of slavery. This yeah. is the Exodus. Yeah. And they're crossing through the Red Sea. And Paul says that when the nation crossed through the Red Sea, the whole nation was baptized. Mm -hmm. And then later he says, when they partook of the manna in the wilderness, the whole nation was partaking of a communion meal. And yet, even though they had those blessings, many of them perished in the wilderness. So there's the connection. But listen to how Paul says this. Okay. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Okay. So right there, the Apostle Paul says, when the nation passed through the Red Sea, they were baptized. And all you have to do is ask the question, were there any infants in Israel during this time? And the answer is, obviously there was. There were not only infants, but thousands of infants, tens of thousands of infants uh, that crossed the sea and were baptized in this baptism. Okay. So that's great, but here's a little bit of tension that I might see here, especially if you have this discussion with, with a Baptist. That's the Old Testament. That's in the <laughs> Old Covenant. We're yeah. in the New Testament. This yeah. is the New Covenant. So what we have in the Old Testament is not necessarily what we see in the New Testament. That is a different kind of baptism. Mm -hmm. So one, is that the case? And two, are there two different types of baptism? Is there a baptism for the Old Testament saints? Is there a new baptism uh, for the Christians or the Christian baptism? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. Um, that's not just a Baptist objection, but it's a good theological question that mm -hmm. uh, many of our Reformed forefathers had to wrestle through. Our Lutheran forefathers had to do the same thing. Um, and, and the answer is, is this. First of all, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, is um, emphasizing the unity of the faith of all the ages. There's one Lord, Jesus Christ, uh -huh. There's one God, there's one spirit, right? So you have the Trinitarian persons in both the Old and New Testament. But Paul says, not just one Lord, but one faith. Not just one faith, but one baptism. Right. So the answer is no, there are not two different baptisms. There's one baptism. 
Now, let me explain that a little bit more, and let me just say that when we deal with sacraments, we usually deal with two aspects of the sacrament. There's the substance of the sacrament, mm-hmm. then there's the outward administration of mm-hmm. the sacrament, right? Sure. So, of course, the form is going to change from Old to New Testament. That's true. Jesus added the Trinitarian formula. That's part of the form. Yeah. We now baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That didn't exist before. But the substance of the baptism has always been one. And we have always been united to Jesus Christ through baptism. And you could really see the way this comes out if you keep reading what Paul says, because he goes on to talk about the Old Testament version of the Lord's Supper, which is the man in the wilderness. He said, all our fathers ate the same spiritual meat. They drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from that spiritual rock that followed them in the wilderness. And then he says, that rock was Was Christ. Christ. So Christ has always been the substance, even though the outward form changes. So so yeah, and I think think one more thing to say is that uh, if there really was this radical discontinuity, that these are two essentially different baptisms, Uh then Paul's argument falls to the ground because the Corinthians could say, Paul, that was an Old Testament baptism. How how can you compare yeah, how does it to that ours? relate with us? Exactly. Right. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. So so that's extremely helpful. And while this little portion of the infant baptism discussion or objection is is basically just one puzzle piece on the board. Um, it's still a very important piece of this understanding. Because right. infant baptism really ties back to your hermeneutic and how you see how you actually read scripture, how you see the church. All right. those questions come into play. So we're happy to discuss more of those, and I'm sure we will in a future episode. But for today, thank you for your time, Pastor Paul, and we'll see you in the next one. You're welcome.